0: Uh, join me in your copy of God's Word, whether you open it or tap on it or swipe to it or however you get to it. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. Looking at an interesting passage this morning, kind of a transitional passage in the course of Acts, a uh, message that I have titled, For the Love of the Local Church! Exclamation point. Uh, are you encouraged this morning? I hope you are, and, and, and there are lots of things to be encouraged about this morning. We just, we're encouraged by Lindsay's walk with Christ and her profession of faith publicly uh, with the body of Christ. That's probably the most encouraging thing that's going on this morning, but also it's, you know, the first uh, uh, week of NFL football. That may be encouraging to you also. Uh, Lindsay is a Steelers fan, we learned, and it's okay. There's hope for all of us, and so I'm a 49ers fan. There's... There, I don't know if there's much hope left for us, but we'll, but we'll see. We take encouragement from all sorts of things as believers, and we seek to encourage other people uh, through different means. Certainly, we're encouraged by the work of God in the church, and certainly we're encouraged by just fun things that we enjoy that God and His grace has allowed us um, to enjoy in this life. But there is especially encouragement, not just when we're at church, but there is encouragement that comes from the church and encouragement that comes by the church and with the church. And in this transitional passage in Acts chapter 20 verses 1 through 12 this morning, we're actually going to find quite a lot of encouragement uh, for the church and from the church, As we look at this text this morning, we'll see Paul transitioning from the city of Ephesus, that great city of Ephesus, working to make his way back to Jerusalem, and along the way making several stops to encourage the local churches in Macedonia, uh, specifically the city of Philippi most likely, and Achaia in that great city of Corinth, and even in the smaller pass-through town of Troas. Because the church is both the body and the bride of the Lord Jesus, it is critical, friends, that we encourage one another, that we support one another in the context of the local church, as we look at this text this morning, I would hope that we would be reminded and encouraged to prioritize our commitments to the life of the local church through six different things, encouraging the church in six different ways. One, through mutual care. Second, financial support of the ministry. Third, the physical service of the body. Fourth, weekly worship. Fifth, observing the Lord's Supper. And sixth, attending the preaching of the word. We'll look at these things together as we uh, examine God's word uh, together this morning. Would you stand with me now as we read and honor God by reading his word to us in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. You'll remember there was a riot in Ephesus uh, at the end of Acts chapter 19 uh, uh, over the uh, movement of the gospel and the threat that it posed to some of the idol makers and silversmiths there in that city. And chapter 20, verse 1 picks up. There, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. comforted. God bless us as we study your word together this morning. You may be seated. Two ways that we see in Scripture today the call to encourage and be encouraged by the local church. Let us look first at verses 1 through 6, where we see this imperative, even this, uh, uh, this, this strong suggestion to us today to commit to encourage your local church. Commit to encourage your local church. What Luke summarizes in six verses here, verses 1 through 6, Paul actually elaborates further in his uh, letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapters 1 through 7. What Luke doesn't say here, Paul does let us know. We know that as the scene settled in Ephesus, as the riot quieted down and it was safe for Paul to move around, that Paul resolved then to take a financial gift to the church in Jerusalem from among the churches he had helped to start all along his travels. Luke doesn't tell us this, but Paul does in 2 Corinthians. So in order to do that, in order to take a gift to the mother church in Jerusalem... He leaves Ephesus and heads back west toward uh, the pass-through city of Troas. Troas was a city where lots of ships came in and left from, and uh, it it was kind of a narrow land route as well. And so there's just a lot of travel through this little town. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that he hoped to meet his friend Titus there in Troas, but Titus, having been sent ahead to Corinth, was delayed in meeting Paul there. So Paul continues on west and south into Macedonia, likely stopping in that great city of Philippi, where he did eventually meet up with Titus and was extremely encouraged by that meeting. Now, during these travels, Paul wrote both his second letter to the Corinthians and his letter to the church in Rome. Okay, so 2 Corinthians and Romans, both written during this travel time that Paul is on right now. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was severe, to say the least. Any of you who have done study in the book of 1 Corinthians know that the the church at Corinth was a hot mess. It was a dumpster fire, and word had gotten to Paul about all the divisions and all of the infighting that were taking place at Corinth. And so he writes his first letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church there, to say, knock it off. This is not how believers act. And by the way, you need to fix all these other problems too. But by the time that Paul met up with Titus in Philippi, he found, because Titus brought him word, that much of what had needed to be corrected in Corinth had, in the time in between, been corrected. And Paul is encouraged, and so he writes 2 Corinthians then to encourage the church in Corinth afresh and anew. Now, some scholars think that Paul's ministry in Philippi and in Macedonia at this point took up to a year. Now, the way Luke mentions it, just kind of -of matter-of-factly here in these brief verses, doesn't imply that Paul spent that much time there, but several scholars do believe that Paul spent quite a bit of time there in Philippi. But from there, he leaves Philippi, he travels south again to Corinth, spending three months there encouraging the church yet again. And as we read here in these verses, his way of returning to Syria by boat uh, was blocked by this violent plot of Jews there in Corinth where he had been opposed by them once before. And so Paul heads back north again through Macedonia. And there at Philippi, the second time, he and Luke remain for the Passover. Did you catch that that the voice of the passage switched from third person to first person again? From saying they, them, to us, we? Uh, Paul is picking back up with Luke again, meeting up with Luke again in Philippi here. So he and Luke stay in Philippi for the Passover and send a good many men on ahead of them to Troas to make arrangements for a ship to go to Syria. And five days later, they make it to Troas and wait there for a week for their ship to arrive. This just a brief summary of what's happening in these six verses, some of what Luke says and some of what Paul informs us from 2 Corinthians. What does all this have to do with anything? As I was looking at the text this week, I'm just going to say, okay, it's a a travel log. What am I supposed to do with this? But verse 2 gives us some help here. Verse 2 says, when Paul had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there we read just of all of the encouraging stuff that Paul does. Paul spends a good deal of his life after his conversion to faith in Jesus traveling, planting churches and traveling back to churches that he has planted to do specifically what verse 2 tells us, to encourage them. Paul is committed to encouraging the local church everywhere that he plants them. Well, why does Paul do this? Why does Paul care so much about the local church? Why does Paul uh, take his life into his own hands or, or even place his life into the hands of others so many times, placing his life in a position of danger to encourage these churches this way? Paul, don't you know this is dangerous? Paul does this for two reasons. One, well, one reason with, with two implications or, or, or two foundations. The reason he encourages the local church is because the local church is inextricably connected to Christ. The church is inseparably connected to Jesus in two ways. First, she is his distributed body. The local church is the distributed body of Christ. Paul himself tells us this in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, where there he writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. He hits on this point again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, where Paul writes there to the hot mess dumpster fire of a church at Corinth. He says, If one member suffers, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, says Paul. The church is the distributed body of Christ. And we know the, the body of, of Christ, the, the global universal church that encompasses the, the, uh, all of those who have been redeemed by faith in Jesus throughout all history and all around the globe. That's the universal church. But the universal church is represented, it's manifested everywhere the local church meets to worship Jesus as Christ. So friends, you are the distributed body of Christ here in this place today. The church is not just the distributed body of Christ, and that's not the only reason that Paul seeks to encourage them so much, but also she is his covenant bride. The local church, the church, is Christ's covenant bride. Paul himself says again, and he's so helpful to us here, in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 32, where there he's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. He says this, beginning in Ephesians 5, 25, "'Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church "'and gave himself up for her, "'that he might sanctify her, "'having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, "'so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, "'without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, "'that she might be holy and without blemish.'" In the same way, he says in verse 28, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Paul quotes Genesis chapter 1 in verse 31 of Ephesians 5, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And here's the kicker. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. The way that husbands love their wives and Christ loves the church, this mystery is profound, Paul says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The picture of marriage, of husbands, sacrificially, humbly, lovingly caring for their wives the way that christ died for and cared for the church is a picture of the relationship that jesus has with the church even in revelation when the church is presented to jesus she is adorned we read like a bride on her wedding day the church is the covenant bride of christ why should you encourage the local church like paul because she's the bride of christ and the body of christ And if you think badly about the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, how do you think the husband of the bride is going to feel about how you treat her? Not very good, right? Because the church is so connected to Jesus, because each of us is united to Christ by faith and and united to one another in the body of Christ, we ought to encourage one another. We ought to encourage the church the way that Paul does. So how do we do this? I want to hit three things here briefly, how we encourage the church like Paul does. First, care for one another physically. Care for one another physically. Christians are united to Christ by their faith, by their trust in him, and they are likewise united to other believers in this family of faith. Now, who among us, friends, having a brother or sister or mother or father who is hurting or lonely who's hungry or cold, who among us having a family member going through those travails would not drop all that we had to meet their needs immediately? Certainly all of us, I would hope. Indeed, if biological blood is thicker than water, as the idiom goes, how much more than the blood of Christ which has saved us from our sin to be in this family? Care is inherently inconvenient. Be honest with you. It is inconvenient to care for each other. It means we have to get outside of our comfort zones. It means we have to go beyond our own preferences to give of ourselves for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It also means doing more than just praying. You ever met the person that said, yeah, I'll pray for you, and you never hear from them again? Caring for others physically in the body of the church is more than even just praying for each other. Now listen, prayer is good. Prayer is powerful. God invites us, even commands us to pray. But Jesus also said that the world would know that we are his disciples if we love one another. Dear friend, do you claim to love Christ? Do you claim to be a Christian, to be united to him by faith? Then love his bride. Care for her. Invest your life in the lives of others. For the sake of our witness to the world, encourage the local church by caring for her physically, by meeting the needs of one another corporately. Secondly, here's how you encourage the local church. You support the ministry of your local church financially. You support the ministry of your local church financially. Now you're thinking, oh, I knew it. Here here comes the sermon on tithing. This is not a sermon on tithing. This is an application of the sermon that pretends to tithing, okay? What I don't want to do in the next few moments is to guilt any of you into thinking that you need to give to the church in order to make God happy or in order to make me happy or in order to fulfill some sort of obligation that you have. Because the truth is, you can't do anything to make God happy. You can't do anything on your own to please God. But God is pleased God is pleased to pour out all of the riches of His love and grace to give you the gift of His Son, crucified for your sin and raised from the dead. Dear friend, God is pleased. He is happy to call you as a partner and an ambassador for Him with the gospel, with the good news that Jesus forgives sin. God is pleased. God is happy to create the church, the bride and body of Christ, to carry out the work of making disciples of Jesus in the world. God loves you, friend but not because you've done anything for him. Not because you've paid him back or, or compensated him for the grace that he has shown you. In fact, if you're trying to, in giving to the church, somehow pay God back for the grace he's given to you in Christ, you still don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is not about you giving anything to God to get anything from God. Or you getting anything from God on credit so as you have to pay it back to God. You have been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, Paul says, not by your works so that no one can boast. Are you awake? I, I, asked the, I asked the microphone. I set it up to pop like that at just that moment. If you are giving to the ministry of the local church because you're hoping to give something back to God, you've missed the gospel. So don't give to the church because you're hoping to be in God's good graces. Uh, Find yourself in God's good grace by trusting in Jesus, by trusting his son who died for you and rose from the dead to forgive your sins. God loves his church and he loves when his church, which is made up of sinners, declare the constant working power of the gospel. And God loves a cheerful giver, one who gives not out of what they can get from God, but from what they have already received, eternal life. One who gives, not because of the guilt that they're seeking to escape or the, 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 the grace that they're hoping to obtain, but out of the joy of knowing that they have made themselves partners in the ministry of the gospel by financing its work through their local church. Why should you give to the local church? Because God has given abundantly, generously, far beyond anything you could ever hope for in saving you by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're, not, if you're here this morning and, and, and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're looking to do something of your own to be right with God, I'm telling you this morning, you've missed the gospel. You've missed it. And you will always find yourself chasing different ways to make God happy and you'll never feel the peace that comes with trusting Jesus if you're trying to somehow earn your way back to God or pay God back for what he's done for you. Dear friends, stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your own works. Trust in Jesus who did it all for you. And then you, mature believer, growing in Christ, look at all of the wonderful gifts of provision that God has given to you, not just in salvation, but also in your job, in a paycheck, in the time, and the talents that you have, and give those things to the ministry of the church. We care for one another physically. That's how you, you can encourage the church. You can support the work of the ministry in your local church financially. Third and finally, You can encourage the local church by serving her personally, by serving the local church personally. And just as God has called his church together by faith in Christ, so also has he given to each Christian particular gifts and natural abilities to be used for his glory. Now, many of us have taken those spiritual gifts tests, spiritual gifts inventories, uh, just by show of hands. How many of you have done one of those before? And how many of you ended up with all the spiritual gifts that you wanted to have at the end of it, right? They're They're really easy to manipulate if you're taking them disingenuously. We love taking those spiritual gifts inventories. They tell us something about maybe how God has gifted us in the Spirit to serve the church or just naturally enable us to serve the church well. And those times are sometimes helpful and sometimes they just serve as a distraction. But all the same, there are two gifts that God has given to every single believer that don't show up on those inventories, but that all of us have. They are these the gift of your presence and the gift of your willingness to do what you may not want to do in the church. The gift of your presence. And the gift of doing what you may not want to do. You're going, those aren't listed in the Bible anywhere. I know. But God wants you to be present in the life of your local church. God wants you to serve doing things that may not be out in front of everyone to see. That may not get you a thank you card at the end of it. That may not get you a gift card to Red Lobster because you helped out with it. God is calling you, Christian, to serve the church in ways that will go unseen by everyone except for God in in heaven who sees your works Much of my life and my growth as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, has to do with people who gave time and were present with me uh, uh, when nobody else knew or nobody else saw. One of my earliest memories of being in church was when our family was attending Fruit Avenue Baptist Church here in town, which is now uh, uh, First Bilingual Baptist Fruit Avenue, I think. They've gone through a couple name, name changes, but God is doing wonderful things for this church. In downtown Albuquerque. And before I was old enough to go to big church, I wasn't five years old yet or whatever the cutoff was. I went to, you know, kids' church, or I can't remember what we called it. I remember in kids' church, there was a man, an older man. He probably wasn't that old, but I was like four, so he seemed ancient to me. His name was Jack. I don't even remember his last name. Is that terrible? But I, I remember his face and I remember the time that he spent with me there in children's church. I remember that I arm wrestled Jack every single week, and to this day, I am undefeated in arm wrestling against Jack. He was a big man who was incredibly weak. I don't know how he couldn't manage to beat a four-year-old in arm wrestling. But Jack was there every week when I was in kids' church. Jack was there. I don't think Jack ever got a thank you card from anyone. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if anybody ever knew that. I'm sure other people knew that Jack was doing it, but, but nobody, nobody saw much of what he was doing, but he was there. And he imparted to me a, a love for God's word as he, as he taught it to me in those times together. A love for being with other believers as he let me uh, destroy him in arm wrestling week after week. He showed the love of Christ to me in ways that people didn't see and ways that he probably did not ever get public recognition for. Christian, you need to serve the church personally, not out of what you'll get from it but out of the reward of knowing that you are investing in the lives of those who are growing in Jesus. Now, I want to make a call to some of you men to be jacks. We have in our church a long and wonderful history of women serving faithfully and dutifully in uh, spending time with children uh, either during Sunday school or Wednesday nights. And, and we have some very, very faithful men in our church who do the same. But we need more men to do this. I need, as your pastor leading this church to do gospel ministry, I need more men who are willing to be like Jack. And that doesn't mean you have to be a great Bible teacher. That doesn't mean you have to be able to apply the Word of God to toddlers perfectly. I just need a little bit of your time. We just need a little bit of your time. And really, it's not me who, who needs it. It's our children who need it. Our children need the presence of godly men who love Christ and who love them and who are willing to lose an arm wrestling match to show them the love of Jesus and help them to love the local church. Men, there are lots of ways for you to serve, but one of the best ways you can serve quietly without ever getting much recognition for it is to serve with children. Listen, I know all of us, wanted, we want to do big things in life. I'm a, I'm a millennial, apparently, and millennials are known for wanting to do big, epic things in life. We, we want to change the world through a, 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 a tweet on Twitter. We think we, we can overturn, you know, uh, 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 centuries of oppression and, and racism and all of that with a Facebook group. Uh, um, we're, we, we want to do these massively epic things, but we have little desire to do what it takes to actually make them happen happen. Here's the thing. As a child growing up uh, in, in the church and, and especially uh, in youth and other things, I, we went to v, we did VBS stuff all the time. We went to several camps, summer camps with youth and all those things. And look, when you are uh, a camp staffer, a summer camp staffer, you are a rock star for a summer. Everybody wants to be your friend. You, you are on stage in front of everyone getting all of the, the accolades and everything for all of the quote unquote work that you're doing as a camp staffer for the summer. But do you want to know something true? I don't remember, except for maybe two or three, camp staffer names that I ever had uh, as a child uh, or as a student going to camp. But you know what I do remember? The names of every single person who ever taught me Sunday school from kindergarten all the way through youth. They're not up here today to get accolades. Those people who faithfully taught me Sunday school didn't get all the fame. They didn't get much glory. But I am what I am and part of what God did in my life through them. So church members, look to serve the church personally in ways that go unseen. Because the impacts are far bigger than you can ever imagine. Too many of us overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what God can do in the course of five years as we serve quietly and obediently to him. Encourage your local church. Serve her personally. Support the ministry financially. Care for one another physically. Then next we see in verses 7 through 12 that we ought to be not just committed to encourage our church but to be encouraged by our church. So being a member of the body of Christ is not just about uh, uh, giving to others all the time. It is also about receiving, especially receiving encouragement from other believers. Now, the scene in verses 7 through 12 of Acts chapter 20 is a somewhat humorous one, although maybe perhaps morbidly so. As Paul and Luke and the others of their traveling party wait there in Troas, they meet on the first day of the week for worship and the breaking of bread. That is the the way of speaking about taking the Lord's Supper together with the church there in Troas. This is actually, if you, you may not have known this, the earliest written evidence that we have of Christians making worship on Sunday, on Resurrection Day, a weekly discipline. It seems, so some of you may ask, when did the church start worshiping on Sunday? Well, at least by Acts chapter 20, and probably before. It seems that the church met later in the afternoon that day, maybe earlier in the evening after the workday had already ended. And there, Paul was given the privilege of preaching their weekly gathering, and, and himself having few opportunities to do so with these believers there in Troas, Paul preached all the way until midnight. I will not do that today. Amen, someone said. I heard that. Now, the house that they're meeting in happens to be on the third floor of the building. And because they're going late into the night, many oil lamps had been lit to uh, light the room so that everybody could see what all was going on. And a young man or young boy named Eutychus, which literally means lucky, which is kind of funny (laughs) when you think about it. Eutychus, weary from the long hour, it's midnight. He's you know he's there in the youth group, and you've got this guy you know preaching until midnight, and he's going, "I want to do everything but be here tonight." But but bless his heart, he's weary from the long hour. The consumption of oxygen in the room has uh, has been taken over by the lamps, and so there's not a lot of air in there for him to breathe. He just wants to get some fresh air. So lucky Eutychus sits on the windowsill to help wake himself up, dear. Dear Eutychus, twice falls in this passage. First, into a deep sleep, for which we can hardly blame him, and secondly, to his death out the window. Don't laugh, it's not funny. Eutychus died. Now, this minor disturbance of the sermon, which, by the way, is why we don't have windows and we're on the ground level. This minor disturbance of the sermon led the congregation outside. They all go down the stairs to find Eutychus um, dead. And uh, Luke says they, he was taken up dead. That doesn't mean he was like almost dead. It means he was, he was like for real dead. He fell out of a third-story window. There as they find him. Paul breaks through the crowd. He lays his body on top of the boy, brace, embraces him in his arms, and pronounced that he was not dead. And he raises him to life. He says, don't worry, don't freak out. His life is still in him. This picture of Paul laying on the boy and raising him to life looks a lot like similar events in the lives in the ministries of Elijah in the Old Testament and Elisha. Even of Jesus and Peter After the boy is taken back up to the house alive, miraculously, and that's why we can laugh at this story, the whole congregation then together shares in the Lord's Supper. They break bread together and likely another meal as well. And Paul keeps on preaching until his voice is met by the crowing rooster and the rising sun. How did the church respond to this marathon preaching event in which Eutychus fell out of the window and died, was brought back up, raised to life? Their response is that, 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 as Luke, the master of understatement, says, they were not a little comforted, which means they were extremely comforted. So I wish Luke learned how to use exclamation points, but um, he, he struggles there. That's okay. We'll forgive him. The church is extremely comforted by this marathon preaching session accompanied with the Lord's Supper all together. The, cur- the church is encouraged at this worship service where Lucky falls out the window. How then, church, shall we be encouraged by one another today? How then are we comforted? Are we encouraged? Without people falling out of windows and being raised back to life, how then do we find comfort and encouragement from the local church? At least three ways. First, by prioritizing weekly worship. By prioritizing weekly worship. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews says this. Let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, since its earliest days, the weekly worship of the Bride of Christ, represented by the local church, has been her discipline and her pleasure. It is both our discipline and our pleasure to worship like this every single week maybe much to your chagrin, I'm not here every week just because y'all pay me to be so. I love worshiping with the local church. What happens when the church worships each week has both vertical and horizontal benefits. Vertically, weekly worship connects the whole body of Christ corporately to her Savior in praise and prayer and confession of sin and repentance through teaching and learning and obeying the gospel. Even more than this, we we do all of that on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the very day of the week that he rose from the dead. Did you know that Easter is not the only resurrection day on the calendar? There are 52 resurrection days on the calendar every single year. Every Sunday is a resurrection day. That's why the church worshiped on the first day of the week, because Christ was raised on the first day of the week, and they thought, it works for Jesus, we'll worship that day too. You'd be hard-pressed to find a self-professing Christian who will intentionally skip church on Easter. Yet many do rob themselves of the encouragement and blessing of worshiping every resurrection day. Vertically, we are encouraged as we come together to worship Christ and to to be reunited in, in the faith that we have in Him and with Him horizontally the the, the the church at worship is a reminder of and a preparation for the worship that we will engage in in eternity did you know that all of this is practice for what we'll do in the resurrection until that day though this is how the lord encourages his people this is how the lord edifies his church as he calls us together and worship together How much joy in the Lord and in relationship with one another then do we miss when we neglect either intentionally or just out of bad habit the weekly worship of the risen Lord? Be encouraged by the church, dear Christian, by prioritizing weekly worship. Make the decision Saturday night before the football game that you are going to wake up Sunday morning to be here in time for Bible study and for worship. Make that a priority. Secondly, you can be encouraged by the church by partaking of the Lord's Supper often, by partaking of the Lord's Supper often. There was a couple who had been married over 70 years. This couple was never rich, but they always had enough. They raised three children of their own. They adopted another. In all, they had 10 grandchildren, six great-grandchildren, and a young couple enamored at their 70 years of faithfulness took the elderly couple to dinner one day, and they asked the elderly couple, they said, we want to have a happy marriage like yours. We want to be married for 70 years too. How do we do it? The old woman smiled, a knowing smile, and she said to the younger bride, my dear, she said, we've had many unhappy days in our 70 years together. We've had more than our fair share of hurts and fights and losses. We've even found ourselves many times close to giving it all up. The young husband looked quizzically at the old man. He said, but then how did you make it this far then? How'd you get through that? To which the elderly groom quietly said, dear boy, a marriage does not last because a man and a woman can bring themselves to say, I love you, but because they every day summon the courage to say, I still do. The Lord's Supper and baptism are the two most physical and tangible ways that Jesus has given his church to identify with him and to visibly remind themselves of the gospel. Baptism is the Christian's first statement of I do, in a sense, to being a follower of Christ. And the Lord's Supper is their continued way of saying, Jesus, I still do. The beauty of each of these symbols is that they both replay the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins that his church has known by faith in him. Dear brothers, you who are married, what one of us, What one of us would ever be disappointed if our wives each day looked us in our ugly mugs with our early morning dragon breath and said, baby, I still do. Not a one of us would be disappointed with that. Every one of us would be encouraged by that. Dear church, Jesus Christ has never once gone to bed angry with his church. He's never once threatened a divorce. He has never once spoken a harsh word, but gave himself once for all for her salvation and growth in holiness. He has for all eternity said to those who trust in him for salvation, I do so love you, church. And this is why we share the Lord's Supper often. This is why we take it at least once a month, which we'll be doing in two weeks on September 23rd in our evening service. This is why we take the Lord's Supper more than just four times a year. Because we need to remember often the commitment that Christ made to his church and the commitment that we as his church have made to him. You can be encouraged by the church as you partake of the Lord's Supper often when your local church takes it. Third and finally, you can be encouraged by the local church by paying attention to the preached word. Paul spent time preaching the word to the church in Troas. He spent a lot of time preaching the word to the church in Troas as they met for their weekly worship. Why? Why does Paul spend so much time opening the scriptures and explaining and applying it to the church? Because the, the, the Bible, the scriptures were considered then, as they are now, a humbling privilege to know that God has revealed himself to us in his word. Dear friend, do you want to hear God speak to you? Read your Bible out loud, Okay. That, that's, not a, that's kind of a joke. You can laugh a little if you want to. But, but seriously, this is God's word that he has spoken. It's remained unchanged for 3,500 years. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you need to speak, hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. There is a reason, dear friends, that I do not preach on whatever is on my mind in a given week. There's a reason we're working through Acts this entire year. Because my mind is jacked up. My will is influenced by sin all the time. If I preached on whatever I felt like preaching week to week, you would hate my guts and I would hate preaching eventually. My wisdom is fallible. Dear friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. The word of the Lord never fails to bring about his purposes. The word of the Lord is life and food to our souls. So when it is preached, pay attention, listen, not for my sake, but for yours. Not because I'm a particularly gifted or charismatic teacher, but because we're looking, we're reading, we're hearing from God's word that he has spoken. I want to give you eight tips briefly, quickly, for paying attention to the preached word for listening well on Sunday morning. These come from another pastor. His name's uh, Tony Morita. And uh, this is from uh, uh, um, a commentary of his. Eight ways to listen to the word of God and be edified by it. First of all, listen humbly. He says, realize that you need God's word. Don't listen with a grudge or with a spirit of arrogance. Don't allow familiarity with the text or even with the speaker's general message to block your desire to meet Christ in the scriptures. Listen humbly. Secondly, listen intently. Do whatever you must do to stay engaged with the message. Say amen if you need to. Sit in the front or take notes. Listen attentively like the audience did in Nehemiah 8 as Nehemiah reads the law to the people as they return from exile to Jerusalem. Fight the urge to fall asleep or to mentally check out. If you need a coloring sheet or to doodle, or so, bring a coloring sheet. And I say that to adults as well as kids. Some of us just need something to do. You please doodle while I preach if it helps you to pay attention. Listen intently. Third, listen biblically. Use your mind to weigh what is taught against what you already know of the Bible, even as the Bereans did. Listen biblically. Fourth, listen personally. Listen for yourself, not just for someone who needed to hear that. Listen for yourself. Listen personally. Fifth, listen communally. Listen for the good of your brothers and sisters. Who knows? It could be that you'll hear something within the message that you can later use to encourage someone else Listen for the benefit of others. Listen communally. Sixth, listen missionally. Don't merely be a receiver of the word. Be a reproducer of the word. Listen in order to make disciples of all nations. Listen missionally. Listen to the word for how it will apply to your own sharing of the gospel this week. (coughs) Seventh, listen practically. Think about ways you should change your behavior based on what you hear. Listen practically. Eighth, finally, listen gratefully. Listen gratefully. Be thankful that God speaks to his people through his word, including you. Be grateful that God has spoken to you in words you can understand, in, in language that is, that is uh, uh, knowable and, and applicable to your own life. Be encouraged by the local church, dear Christian, by prioritizing weekly sh- uh, worship, by taking the Lord's Supper often by paying attention to the word when it is preached and i'll also say when it's taught in your sunday school and bible study classes listen with all these listen all these same eight ways there as well church the lord has given us the gift of this body for our being built up together as followers of christ let us then encourage the church let's encourage the church that we are members of by caring for one another by giving generously and regularly to support the ministry of this church as God has given generously to us in Christ. And let us encourage the local church that meets here at First West by personally serving in meaningful ways. But let us also certainly be encouraged by the church as we commit to worship together each week, hearing with intent to be transformed by the word of God preached and taught and by sharing the Lord's Supper together often. You, like Paul, can encourage the church and be encouraged by her if you'll prioritize these things. I pray that you will and that as we do as a church, we will see the work of God move among us. We will see Christ exalted and lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ as we're encouraging and being encouraged together and taking that same good news of the gospel out from this place. God has not saved us to be islands to ourselves. He has saved us that we might live in community together extending and receiving grace and forgiveness and care and love to one another. And the gift that he's given us to do that through is the local church. Love this church. Encourage her. Be encouraged by her. This we pray in Jesus' name. Let's pray together.